0: We're in the book of Daniel. We're going through the Bible, and Daniel's a book with a lot of stories that we could spend a lot of time on. And just to let you know, we're not forgetting the other stories. We're going to come back. Once we're done doing the Bible, you're not dismissed for the rest of your life. We're actually going to come back and look at other bits in the Bible and do it more in detail and other themes as we, as we work our way through. It, there are a lot of familiar stories here, and other stories may not so familiar to you as you read it this week. The first six chapters are historical stories that most of us have heard, if you're, if you're church people, and they have the best-known stories. The last six chapters are prophecies, and they can get very heavy, a little difficult to wade through. And since we obviously don't have time to go through all of the stories and the prophecies, we're going to fly over at 10,000 feet and we're going to take a look at one story in particular. But before we do, just give you the general theme of the book, the direction of it. The theme is God is in control, not only of Israel, but he is in control of the, of the world. That doesn't mean he does everything on the world. It doesn't mean he planned that everything happened just as it does. What it means is God is still in charge He can decide to break into history and do what he wishes to remind us that he is in charge. If you cross God, there is a cost. If you are faithful, there is a reward. That's the message. If you cross God, there's a cost. That's important. We live in a world which in some ways wants to be consequence-free. Wants to be able to do what it wants to do with no consequences. Uh, if you cross God, there's a cost. As C.S. Lewis put it, we don't break the commandments. We go against God and the commandments break us. But if you are faithful, there is a reward. It might not always be on site. In other words, might not come today. Might not come in 20 years. It may not come while you're alive, but there is a reward. Daniel is taken, brutalized. We talked a bit about that last week. Now he has to live his life as a, uh, as a eunuch, a prize, a token, a toy. There's a way Nebuchadnezzar can say, look what I did to Israel. And yet, even though he's just a boy, he refuses to go against his training. And so whenever he has presented food that to him would be unclean, he says, no, I'll just stick to this basic water and vegetables over here. Because he, he didn't want to forget God risked his life. God honored this and rewards him and his friends. In chapter 2, Daniel interprets a dream that Nebuchadnezzar had, and if ever you thought you had odd dreams, you don't know anything until you've read Nebuchadnezzar's dreams. And he remembered every detail of them. I, I remember every detail of my dreams for like a second, and then I don't remember it anymore, and that's probably good. But here, Nebuchadnezzar... What's the dream? In fact, he didn't remember this particular one, which made it even harder. He said, I need somebody to tell me what I dreamed and what it meant. And as a boy, I thought, easy, make it up. But for some reason, they never came up with that. So Daniel told him, this is what you dreamed. And it was about the future, that God was going to set up a kingdom that would forever reign, his church. Nebuchadnezzar is rewarded by Daniel. uh, I'm sorry, Daniel's rewarded by Nebuchadnezzar for this. I have a little side here. I came to America off and on all my life. I've spent a lot more time here than anywhere else. Hard to tell sometimes. I went to high school briefly in the Deep South. Um, It's it's one of the Carolinas, the top one. That's all I'm saying. (laughs) And I had a class in ancient and medieval history in high school and the teacher evidently wasn't a church person because we'd studied Nebuchadnezzar and I have never been able to read this without hearing Nebuchadnezzar so now it's in your head and we can share chapter three we're going to get back to chapter three chapter four Nebuchadnezzar has another dream Daniel comes in and says it means you're going to go insane why Because Nebuchadnezzar had not yet acknowledged that God was God. And to God, from his perspective, that's insane. The fool has said in his heart, there is no God. Some people are worse than fools. They say it out loud. He says, look, can you not see? Can you not see what I've done in Daniel's life? And Nebuchadnezzar just kind of forgets. So, Nebuchadnezzar goes insane for a while. Chapter five, Babylon falls to the Medes, no relation, and the Persians. um, In fact, that's a fascinating story in and of itself. Darius the Mede comes up, uh, sees that there's no way into the city, and so what he does is change the course of a river. Because once you got into the city, you, you found you're almost like Venice. You had gates and areas, and you could not get out and into the city unless you came in by the river, but the river went under the wall, underground, so nobody could come in during that, so he just changed the course of the river and came in under the walls, took the city. The night that it fell, Daniel is called for, about to Shazar, the king there, who's throwing a big banquet, unaware that the judgment of God's about to fall. That's the way it always is. We're not, we're, you know, God doesn't knock on the door and say, I'm coming tomorrow, Here he comes, the fingers of a man's hands right on the wall. They call for Daniel to say, what does it mean? And he said, you've been measured and found lacking. God's had a look at you and said, no. Wouldn't you hate that? Wouldn't you absolutely hate that? Well, the kingdom falls. Daniel is honored, but that's it. We see prophecies, but we don't know much else about Daniel after this. The new king, however, was Darius, and Darius liked Daniel, and that caused jealousy among some other guys, and so his other people made a log. It was all all politics. Politics got people in trouble back then. It's a bit hard to put your head around now, but it did, it did. And it ended up with Daniel being thrown into the lion's den, which as soon as Daniel got there, was really Daniel's den, and the lions were the ones not in control anymore. Darius comes and sees that God has once again blessed Daniel. What was the whole point? The whole point of the law was to get Daniel to quit worshiping God. Just for a day. Just for a season. Just for a month. Just for a while. Not forever. Just for a while. Remember that. That's very important with our story today. Daniel said, no. And right out in the open, he worshipped God anyway. That put him in the lion's den, but God rewarded him. But you see the pattern. God rewards those who are faithful. There's a cost for crossing God. Good. Let's go back to chapter 3. Nebuchadnezzar had earlier told Daniel he believed that God was the God of gods and the king of kings. However, Nebuchadnezzar was a nut. He was. In history, we see it. We see from what he wrote, how he he talked, how he reigned, he was insane. And so he forgot about God and now was demanding that everybody in his kingdom bow down before his national God, the patron God of the Chaldean people. Now, it's very important you get this because if most of us read this we hear one story and it's not that story we hear the story that Nebuchadnezzar was saying you cannot worship your God you've got to worship this God that is not what he was saying at all pagan kings almost never said that what they said was you may worship your God but you got to add this one you got to add the national God to your God you go ahead and have your religion it's a cute little thing and it makes you nice Fair enough. Enjoy that religion, but the national religion is this one, and you'd better bow. And that's where it comes into the present age. That's where it comes in today. This world does not demand that you drop Jesus, but it wants you to tame him, put him in a box, only pull him out when it's convenient and a private moment for you. Otherwise, you're to bow to the national gods. Whether those are politics, whether those are consumerism, whether it's just the world's day of doing, a way of doing business or a fad, whatever the cause du jour is, bow to it. They don't ask you to renounce Jesus. Remember, just keep him in your place. Keep him, keep him back a bit. Don't be nuts about this religion stuff. If you've got a kid that gets up every day at five o'clock to deliver papers, they'll say, that kid's got a great work ethic. Look at him, or look at her. They're going to go far. Get a kid that gets up at five o'clock to read the Bible and study for a while, they'll say, that person's a nut. Better watch him. You might want to medicate that kid. What is it about us? You can wear a shirt that says, ask me about, and it might be a political thing, or it might be a a nutrition thing, or it might be a weight loss thing, and people will look at that and go, oh, I get that. You have asked me about Jesus, you'll get like a 30-foot exclusion zone. People stay away from you. Now, some of that's because Christians have acted poorly. Let's own that. Some of that is because Christians have been judgmental or arrogant Let's own it. But most of it is because we won't add other gods to our God. And that, the world does not mind you praying to Jesus as long as you don't, as long as you're also okay with praying to Buddha, praying to nobody in particular, praying to a Hindu God, whatever. They just don't want you to be exclusive. That whole Jesus is the way, the truth, the life thing is offensive to the world. Chapter 3 of Daniel is 2015. It's been every year I've been alive. Every year the world's been going on. You see, in Nebuchadnezzar's Babylon, failure to bow down before the dominant national god was tantamount to treason. And here's where I've got to go off the rails a bit. You're going to think. I don't talk politics, you might think I do, but I really don't. I I have no interest in telling you who to vote for and who not to vote for, but there are times we have to talk about cultural things. Right now, we're told that if you're transgender, you're a hero. We'll give you a hero's reward. We will, in fact, if anybody speaks against you, they lose their job. If anybody speaks against you, they are no longer able to speak in public. They're vilified and torn apart. You need to understand, So I'm, I'm a science guy, sorry, but there are people with various intersex issues, and that is their reality. But over 75% of those who have sex change surgery report regretting it later and saying they made a mistake. You see, people need therapy, and we give them surgery. They need help, and we cut on them instead. And we say, that's bravery. You know what bravery is? Bravery is standing against the national God and saying, no, 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 no. Let's find another way to deal with whatever you're going through. And by the way, I'm not making fun of of any of these individuals at all. I'm a human being, I know what it's like to be trapped in a body that isn't mine. I'm much better looking than this. I am strong, athletic, powerful, almost a bronze god type. I don't mean, amen. There's a man on medication. Now, um... And I'm not making fun of anybody. I'm saying I understand what it is to struggle. I've had depression in my life. I know what that's like. I live with pain. I know what that's like. I'm not making fun of things. I'm saying when people need help, we don't elevate them to God's status and say, You may not speak against or you will be destroyed. But the world does. And it's not just that, is it? If you won't make a wedding cake, you must be destroyed. If you won't cater this wedding, you must be destroyed. And that has nothing to do with whether or not you accept this or whether God accepts this. It is about the national God is determined. You bow or you die. What are you going to do? Back to chapter 3. All the officials of the land are to be gathered together in a show of national unity. Anybody who refused to to bow before the 90-foot-tall God would be killed immediately in a superheated furnace. Now, this is where I can get really nerdy. I'll just put it to you this way. They understood back then how to melt rock with just the tools they had. They would build earthen dams with all sorts of, of rock courses in them and little entrances and set the fire at certain points in a certain way but we just figured this out about 20 years ago how did the iron age people make their vitrified forts we kept trying to figure out how did they burn things this hot it took us all that time to figure out what they knew and back in those four furnaces of babylon they would unstop or they would open up different ports to make it hotter so they could make bricks they could melt rock they could smelter um, metals of different sorts. They knew what they were doing. And anybody who didn't bow would be taken and tossed in. Our world will tell you, we don't mind, you don't have to bow, but you must approve. You will approve or die of whatever they're doing. And we just talked about a couple issues, but we could, we could multiply that. Could we not? And every generation gets more. You will approve or die. So the music begins. Thousands of foreheads in the immediate vicinity smack the ground as the officials bow before the idol. But three foreheads don't go down. Quickly, some of the Chaldean officials ran to the king to say, hey, 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 those three didn't bow. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego didn't bow. I want you to know this, and young folk, you already know this. There are always those guys. There will always be those guys that cannot wait to run and tell on you. Whether it's on Facebook or Twitter, whether it's in a headline or whatever, they cannot wait to make fun of you. They cannot wait to get you in trouble. They cannot wait to get the pressure off of them and let everybody see what a pitiful idiot you are. There are always those guys. You study the history of world war ii and you wonder where did you get guys that just shoveled thousands of people men women and children into furnaces and gas rooms and had no problem with it and laughed while they did it we will always have those people and they tend to rise in power in political power these friends of daniel aren't bowing we don't know where daniel was at this time by the way this story isn't about him so he's not here I find it interesting they didn't bow. It's not where you thought I was going. They were very aware of the cruelty of Nebuchadnezzar's Babylon. People back then when they were captured and taken to prison weren't handcuffed as a rule. They were chained and shackled. But they'd put a hook through your cheek or a hook through your nose and chain you to the person in front of you that was hooked so that the pain and ripping and disfigurement would continue. This was a cruel, cruel area, and these guys didn't bow. They'd witnessed this kind of cruelty repeatedly to their own people. They'd seen their own people go through this. And they had been brutalized and made eunuchs. Why didn't they bow? It's only an outward thing. You could say, in your inside, I'm bowing to Jesus. Jesus, I'm not bowing to that God. That God is not who I'm bowing to now. I'm just bowing to you. And if I get my head down here, you know my worship comes to you, and this gives me many more years to serve you. They didn't rationalize anything. They stood. Think of that. Why didn't they just bow? All you had to do is bow. Inside, give your glory to Jehovah. And that way you survive. That way you can do a lot more good for God. Can you not see the rationalization that almost all of us do sometimes? Just go along to get along. God honors, in that book of Hebrews that was mentioned this morning, those that did not love their lives too much. We tend to love our lives too much. That always bothered me about the old TV series 24. It did. Somebody would have the nuclear codes, and if the bad guy gets them, millions will die. And he'd say, you're not going to get them. They'd hit him and go, yeah, I refuse to get them to you. And they'd cock a gun to their head and they'd go, okay, here they are. <laughs> really? Really? Have you not read the Bible? You don't have to bow. Look at their response. Daniel chapter 3, verses 13 through 18. Furious with rage, Nebuchadnezzar summons Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. So these men were brought before the king, and Nebuchadnezzar said to them, Is it true, Shadrach, Meshach, Abednego, that you do not serve my gods or worship the image of gold I have set up? Now when you hear... The sound of the horn, flute, zither, lyre, harp, pipe, and all kinds of music. If you're ready to fall down and worship the image I made, very good. See, he's given him another chance. He's a reasonable guy. But if you don't worship it, you will be thrown immediately into a blazing furnace. Then what god will be able to rescue you from my hand? Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego replied to him, King Nebuchadnezzar, We do not need to defend ourselves before you in this matter. Learn that phrase. We don't have to bow down and we don't have to explain it. If we're thrown into the blazing furnace, the God we serve is able to deliver us from it and he will deliver us from your majesty's hand. But even if he does not, we want you to know, your majesty, that we will not serve your gods or worship the image of gold you've set up. These people are going to get destroyed on social media. The commentators on MSNBC, CNN, ABC, and just the whole alphabet are going to go after them. Arrogant, hard-hearted, not social, perhaps treasonous. These are unreliable individuals. They're causing problems. They need to bow. But they loved God more than they loved life. They loved God more than they loved status. They loved God more than they loved acceptance. And God respects that. Once you think about that, every time we see Jesus in heaven, he's seated at the right hand of God unless one of his people is dying. When Stephen was being martyred, he looked up and saw Jesus standing at the right hand of God. When the martyrs approach the throne, The Lamb of God stands. God respects those who do not bow to anyone but him. The word order in verses 16 through 18 is very interesting and important. It means we aren't the ones who need to defend ourselves in this matter, King Nebuchadnezzar. You need to defend yourself. You're going to have to answer for this, not us. The king had made the mistake of making this a contest between him and God. That doesn't go well. It's the same contest that uh, Sennacherib had tried to do in 1 Kings chapter 18. He told Hezekiah, I beat all the other gods on the way here to Jerusalem. I can beat your god too. Your god's nothing. I beat the other ones. What? Let's have a contest. Sennacherib died. He lost. Don't set yourself up or your nation up in a contest against God. I'm not anti-American. Britain's been a lot worse on this than you. A lot ahead, further ahead than you. I'm not anti-American. I'm not anti, I'm I'm pro-God. Which means we don't bow to anybody but him. Peter and John knew the story They knew this story. Later on, they would be called before the high court of the land. The supreme court is about to give an issue. uh, Rather, render a, um, a statement. And they say, we charge you, you may not preach in the name of Jesus again. It's in Acts chapter 4, verses 18 and 19. They called the men and commanded them not to speak or teach at all in the name of Jesus. Peter and John replied which is right in God's eyes, to listen to you or to him? You be the judge. The Supreme Court does not overrule Jesus. Nobody does. And it, and saying that gets you in big trouble. You are called unloving. When really what you're trying to do is love people. Show them there's another way to live. You don't have to go and follow every whim of every person on TV. You can decide to follow the one God rather than the many gods we're presented with during the day. So now the rest of the story. Nebuchadnezzar was furious. I bet he was with Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, and his attitude toward them changed. No more second chances here. He ordered the furnace heated seven times hotter than usual, and commanded some of his strongest soldiers in his army to tie up Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego and throw them into the blazing furnace. So these men, wearing their robes, trousers, turbans, that means the uniform of power, and other clothes were thrown into the blazing furnace. The king's command was so urgent and the furnace so hot that the flames of the fire killed the soldiers who took up Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And these three men, firmly tied, fell into the blazing furnace. Then King Nebuchadnezzar leaped to his feet in amazement and asked his advisors, Weren't there three men that we tied up and threw into the fire? They replied, Certainly, Your Majesty. He said, Look, I see four men walking around in the fire, unbound and unharmed, and the fourth looks like a son of the gods. Nebuchadnezzar then approached the opening of the blazing furnace and shouted, Shadrach, Meshach, Abednego, servants of the Most High God, come out, come here. So Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego came out of the fire. And the satraps, prefects, governors, and royal advisors crowded around them. They saw that the fire had not harmed their bodies, nor was a hair of their head singed. Their robes were not scorched, and there was no smell of fire on them. We love this story. Nebuchadnezzar will then declare, No God can save like this God. But I want to tell you something about this story. The good guys win and God is exalted. That's what we like to see. But let's face it, sometimes we don't win. Not here. And Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego had seen many of their friends not win. They'd seen many of them burned, killed, hacked, die of infection. And God not do a thing, it seems. But they believed that their reward would be here, even if it wasn't here, here. That God was still going to reward them. Remember, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego are still prisoners. They're still tokens of a foreign king. While we will not win all of our battles, isn't it nice to see some of them won? Isn't it nice? But in the rush of excitement over the survival of these three, we need to notice something. Often we don't win our battles because we don't fight them. Often we don't win because we don't speak up. We don't stand up. We bow, thinking inside and bowing to God, He understands ah, uh, you know something? What if we all stood up and said, no? No, we're not doing it. America claims to be almost 70% Christian. What if everybody who's a Christian has an account on Facebook said, from now on, only positive and fun things? Wow. You'd see darkness and light, wouldn't you? What happens if Christians live with faith, hope, and love and bow to no God but God? Then the world can see the difference. Right now, the world can't really see the difference. Fact is, in cities where there are many, many churches, the abortion rate's about the same, alcoholism's about the same, drug abuse is about the same, domestics. What happened? we we went to church but we added all these other gods god says number 1 rule you will have no other gods before me have we forgotten the first commandment don't join the rush to bow your heads it's understandable it's a struggle to live good honest lives when you see others prospering that bow I'm doing so great that bow. There are multi, multi, multi millionaires right now all claiming to represent you <clears throat> and understand your struggle. Don't bow. Don't bow. The world screams at us that you've got to bow. If you stand against them, it says it'll be at your own peril. But God tells us stories so that even when we don't see the victory, we believe in the victory. Even when the story doesn't end the way we want it to end, we still believe in the end of the story. Remember what Jesus said to Thomas? You believe because you see. Blessed are those who believe who didn't see. This story is to help us stand up regardless of how our personal story looks to end. In a bet, we're we're going to sing a song. Before we do that, we got some scripture to read. But the song was written by a man who lost his daughters. Shipwrecked. The wife could only send a telegram, all the money she had, saying "saved alone," two words. His poor girl's gone. What would you do? What would you do? He was able, eventually, to rejoin his wife and they moved to Jerusalem. And they bought property and they built a hospital treating people for free who have no money, indigents, the addicted, the broken, the foreigner. And to this day, it stands and serves. He did not look at the loss of his daughters as the end of their story but rather as I still believe I will not bow to doubt I still believe Would you stand with me as I read 1 Peter chapter 1 verses 3 through 9 and then 13 through 16 After the reading of this we will have our song and at that we will be dismissed You believe in him and are filled with an inexpressible and glorious joy. For you are receiving the end result of your faith, the salvation of your souls. Therefore, with minds that are alert and fully sober, set your hope on the grace to be brought to you when Jesus Christ is revealed at his coming. As obedient children, do not conform to the evil desires you had when you lived in ignorance. But just as he who called you is holy, so be holy in all you do. For it is written, be holy because I am holy. Amen, church?